Let's all go to Yahweh in prayer. Father Yahweh, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of the day. We thank you for your Sabbath. We thank you for all that you've done for this ministry and those here and your people throughout this world. We would ask a special prayer today for Elder Allen and also Brother Dennis, uh, that you would help them both in the recovery, especially with Brother Dennis still in the hospital. We pray that your uh, healing hands would be upon him, that you would be Yahweh Rapha. We pray that your healing would be upon both, that they would recover and that they would be able to return to worship you and, and uh, strive to always walk in your ways. Father, we again thank you for all that you do and all that you've done, and we pray that the message would be a blessing to those here and those listening, and we ask all this in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to be here today, and I'd like to uh, again welcome everybody here. I'd like to welcome those online. I know there's many watching online, and and uh, certainly want to uh, make sure they're included. You know, there are two major decisions we make in this life that are life-changing. Now, if you think about it long enough and hard enough, you'll probably come up with the same conclusion. One is marriage. That is life-changing. Of course, you can add children, I guess, to that list. I don't have that. The other one was career. What careers we uh, choose is, you know, they're, they're life-changing. Today, I want to talk about the first, and that is marriage. What is marriage? How do we ensure that we have a healthy, thriving marriage? You know, besides our relationship with, with Yahweh, there's nothing greater in this life than that found between a husband and wife. There's not a greater promise. There's not a greater union found besides the marital bond. As we'll see in a moment, Yahweh was the one who established marriage in the beginning. He did this between one man and one, man, one woman for life. Marriage was and is a sacred union that was blessed by the one we worship from the beginning. Well, this will be part one of a two-part series. I'll be giving the next part uh, next week, reviewing how to achieve a healthy and blessed marriage. You know, this last June marked 21 years for Jennifer and me. We've uh, had our ups and downs, but overall, 21 years, it's been a, a wonderful and Really, just tremendous blessing. So what makes a marriage healthy? How do we have a blessed marriage? What do we do? Well, in the next two Sabbaths, I hope to give you some, some great tips on how we achieve this. I want to begin today by going back to the beginning, going back to Genesis, understanding what Yahweh put in place. So Genesis 2, verse 18. It says there, And Yahweh Elohim said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. We see here that Yahweh recognized that there was a problem with Adam. We see here that Adam was all alone. Well, Yahweh created male and female for the animal kingdom. We find here that that wasn't true for Adam. He had no counterpart. So how did Yahweh resolve this issue? What did he do? Well, we see here that he created Adam a help meet or help mate. The phrase help meet comes from two Hebrew words. The uh, first is azer, refers to an aid or someone who helps. The uh, second is for meat is uh, nagid, refers to a counterpart or to a mate. So we see here through help meet or help mate, it refers to an aid or helper that is a counterpart to the other. In addition to being a helpmate to Adam, we also know that Eve served as a balance to Adam. 
You know, the fact is, as a single person, it's harder, not impossible, but harder to uh, be complete or balanced. It is. That's not to criticize those who are single. It's simply to point out one of the benefits of marriage. And marriage tends to complete us, tends to provide a balance. I know that I would not be the person I am today without Jennifer within my life. Besides my relationship with Yahweh, I consider my marriage in my family the second greatest achievement in my life. Certainly a blessing, the greatest blessing besides, again, Yahweh's calling. Now, I want to make one point, one more point here. Even though Eve was created as a helpmate to Adam, Adam was also a helpmate to Eve. You know, understand that marriage is not a one-way street. Marriage is reciprocal. Marriage is reciprocal. You know, this principle we find for a healthy marriage applies to both, I believe, the husband and wife. Now, that's not to say they share the same role. We know there's different roles. In Genesis 3, verse 16, we find there's a hierarchy. It says, Aaron, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And this was, again, because of Eve's sin. And sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over you. We see here Yahweh's punishing Eve, and that punishing was for eating from the tree of knowledge. We know that. He says here that she would give birth in pain and that her desire would be to her husband and that he would rule over her. The word rule comes from the Hebrew mashal. It means to have dominion or to reign over. That's the meaning of the word. So we see here that the husband has authority over the wife and by extension also the family. Now, I know even saying this today might offend some listening, but understand that as a culture, we've gone so far from what the Bible says that we no longer recognize the process. We no, no, no longer recognize what Yahweh's put in place, the biblical principles that our Father in Heaven established. You know, for those who might remember the show, I'm afraid to say that the days a father knows best is no more. You know, we think of some... Some of those great shows, I Love Lucy, Fathers Knows Best, and even Leave It to Beaver, I guess. We'll put that on the list. That traditional family is all but fading away. You know, for the record, I believe that much of the blame is really due to the feminist movement. Although today now we're seeing the woke movement, the Marxist movement, and the BLM movement, and all the other movements, the progressive movement. And I believe all of this is to tear down the traditional family, that which remains. Now, before anyone jumps to any conclusions, let's talk about what this means and and what this doesn't mean. So what does it mean to have dominion? What is this principle? How do we apply this? Or what this means that the husband is the head or authority within the marriage. That has never changed. The husband is head or has dominion over the family. Or what this doesn't mean, though, is that the husband should uh, dictate, should be unreasonable in his demands, or abusive with his Yahweh-given authority. As we'll uh, see in a few moments, a husband's role parallels Yahshua and the assembly. And I believe that's one of the greatest ways of viewing marriage, viewing the roles, viewing how we should be interacting within this union, looking at how Yahshua 
governs the assembly. Because again, it is a mirror image of what we should be doing as husband and wife. Well, let me explain how I view marriage. While I view myself as a head or the authority within my marriage, I also view marriage as a partnership. I believe for a husband and wife to have a healthy, thriving, blessed marriage, they must learn and work together and be partners. They can't have a dictator. You know, for example, I don't make any major decisions in a vacuum. I know some husbands, they feel they have the prerogative or the right to do so. I don't make any major decisions in a vacuum. Instead, I go to Jennifer, we discuss it, we try to form a consensus, and we go with that. Just because a man has authority within the marriage doesn't mean he should be making rash decisions or should not be considerate to his wife. Now, what happens if the wife or if the husband abuses his authority within the marriage? For example, let's say that he makes rash decisions without consulting his wife. What happens in that situation or what happens is that this creates a strife and animosity within the marriage. And that's why it's important to view marriage, I believe, as a partnership under, with the understanding that there's a head to that partnership, but it's still a partnership, meaning that as a husband and wife, we should be working together. We should be striving to come to a consensus, to an agreement, and not make demands or decisions in a vacuum or alone. I want to cover one more thing that, here that pertains to this hierarchy. There will be times in a marriage, I can assure you, that a decision will have to be made when a husband and wife may not agree. So what do you do in that circumstance when a husband and wife may not agree? Where well, I believe that the husband must consider all viewpoints, especially the viewpoint of his wife, and make a decision best for the family. In turn, I believe that the wife has the responsibility to support that decision, even if she may disagree with it. Now, we also find this same principle in the New Testament. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 5, verse 22, starting there in that passage. Here's what Paul says. He says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the master. For the husband is a head of the wife, even as Messiah is a head of the assembly. And he is a savior of the body. Therefore, as the assembly is subject unto Messiah, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So we see here that there's a parallel between the husband and wife relationship and Yahshua and the assembly. In this relationship, the husband represents Yahshua the Messiah and the wife represents the assembly. So as the assembly is to obey and follow Yahshua the Messiah, the wife is to do the same with her husband. And it says in everything. Now I've counseled several couples over the years and I've heard ladies say things like, you just don't know my husband. And maybe I don't. I don't know every situation or every relationship. But as believers, we must strive to follow what we find within the word. And that's why I encourage, even in those cases where maybe the husband's not making all the right choices, that if possible, we still stay with the word and don't deviate from the word. You know, as a side note, this is why it's important to find a good spouse. You know, I'm speaking to our young people today. You know, I've seen many of these children grow up to be young adults Teenagers, many of them are driving now, which kind of concerns me, but it is what it is. But it's important to find a good spouse. Now, let me tell you the two things I would look for. Number one, I would look for someone, first and foremost, that, are, that, that is following and has a conviction in Yahweh. That's number one. 
Number two, someone who loves us, someone who's going to care for us, someone that will, will provide for us, support us. But again, number one is someone in the faith. That's number one. But that's no guarantee. It also needs to be someone who loves us and cares for us and we know will support us. Now, I will say this. Under no circumstances does the Bible allow or permit for abuse. I've uh, counseled couples. I've seen marital separations. I've encouraged marital, marital separations because of abuse. And I've seen this on both sides. Now, as a wife is to obey her husband... The husband, it says here, is to emulate who? The husband is to emulate Yahshua the Messiah. Yahshua never abused. Yahshua never mistreated the assembly. On the contrary, he gave everything for the assembly, including his own life. The husband is to follow in this example. You know, his decisions should never be made from selfish desire. What benefits him or that which might hurt the family? He should consider himself secondary to the needs of the family, as Yahshua did the assembly. You know, here's another thing for the husband to consider. In the Bible, we find the principle, when much is given, much is required. I believe that's a very strong principle we find scripturally. When much is given, much is required. You know, we see this in the case of ministers, those who minister in the word. Here's what we find from James. He says this, quote, My brethren, be not many masters or ministers, knowing that we shall receive the heavier condemnation. So you see, when much is given, much is required, much is demanded. If you serve in the ministry, much is required. As we find here, ministers, it says, will receive the heavier condemnation. Where this same principle applies to husbands. I believe that husbands, too, will receive heavier condemnation if they do not rule and, 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 and govern their families well. This is a great responsibility. You know, for a marriage to be successful, to be healthy, it's important that the husband and wife respect this hierarchy, this divine order. But also that they show mutual consideration for one another. Again, I, would, I always encourage when I counsel couples to View it as a partnership. Realize that there's a hierarchy, but also view it as a partnership. You've got to work together. If you don't work together, you're not going to succeed. You know, I was inspired by Yahweh, this hierarchy from the beginning, and is a pattern that we as believers should be following. I want to move on now and talk about a subject I really have a lot of passion for, and that is communication. Communication. You know, for me, communication is a big one when talking about marriage. How we communicate with our spouse can really make or break our relationship. And by, and by the way, this is true for any and all relationships. It doesn't matter who or what it is. Communication is a very important topic. I want to begin there with James. James 1 verse 19. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So how many of us follow what we find here? Consider this for just a moment. Think about it. How many of us follow, comply, what we find here? Are we in a hurry to listen, or are we in a hurry to speak? Do you realize that 90%, I can't find this in any, any scientific poll, but I believe 90% of all arguments could be resolved if we simply followed what we find here. For those who have been married for 
a few decades, <laughs> you know this to be true. You know, there was a man in the faith that was a great example of this. And truth be told, I never knew this man. I've heard stories only. This person was always slow in his response. Somebody would ask this person something, and he would sit there, and he would think about it. Never reply immediately. Now, it wasn't this man's intelligence that made him slow. It was a deliberate pause to consider his response. A deliberate pause to consider his response. You see, before he said anything, he thought carefully about his words. And I believe that this is a great example for us. How careful are we with our words? When we communicate with our spouse, what words do we use? How do we use those words? Well, again, this principle is important for all relationships. I believe it's especially true for marriage. You know, I would say that the vast majority of marital arguments could be resolved if the husband and wife would simply follow and do as we find here. You know, for me, this, this is really a crucial concept. And again, it's true no matter what relationship we're referring to, and including personally and professionally. There's a book entitled Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was written by a man named Stephen Covey. It's one of my favorite books. According to Google, more than 25 million copies of this book have been sold in 40 different languages. So it's a pretty popular book. Again, one of my favorite books on leadership. Or within this book, Stephen Covey speaks about what he calls a pause button. Same concept that we find here, but he, again, he says a pause button. Or the concept is, is very simple. Before we respond, we should use our pause button to measure our response. How often do we do that as believers? How often do we do that as spouses? Do we use our pause button before we respond that we consider our words? You know, I know that I'm guilty of this within my own marriage, saying things and then immediately regretting what I said. And I'm sure if you've been married for any length of time, you've done the same thing. You've said something and immediately you wish you could have taken those words back. Well, that's when we use this pause, but we, 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 we pause, we consider, we think, and we are considerate to our spouse. As believers, we need to learn how to use this tool so that what we say reflects Yahweh and not anger or animosity so that we're considerate. You know, I guarantee that if we do this within our marriage, we will have a healthier marriage. We will have a better marriage. If we control our communication and how we communicate to one another, we will have a better marriage. Now, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, verse 25, he also speaks about this principle of communication. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. So how important is it as believers and spouses that we speak the truth, that we're honest? How important is it? Whereas we see here, this is a moral, moral obligation we have as believers. This is something that we should all be doing, speaking the truth, not being deceitful. What happens to a relationship when trust is broken and becomes an issue? Where those relationships, at minimum, will suffer at a minimum, 
and some may not succeed depending on what the infraction is. One of the worst things I believe we can do and that can happen in a marriage is when we're no longer, we can no longer trust our spouse, our husband and wife. And that can be resolved, but it takes time. But as a believer and as a spouse, we should always be honest. Let me give you an example of something about 20% of all married men are guilty of. It's a very sad number. Or let's say that a husband commits adultery, and that's 20%, by the way, 20% supposedly of men, of married men, commit adultery. But let's say you commit adultery, but instead of being honest, you cover it up by a long series of lies and deceit. You know, in some cases, it's not the adultery, but the deception and dishonesty that destroys that marriage. Even with adultery, sometimes you can get beyond it, and you can rebuild that trust and rebuild that marriage. But if you lie about it, if you deceive about it, the odds of success of coming back together, finding that unity is very, very slim. Now, we also know that this happens on the other side. Historically speaking, most connect adultery with men But we're seeing actually a growing trend with women. And I do believe that that's because of our culture, a breakdown of our culture. So the lesson here is simple. Dishonesty in marriage will eventually destroy that marriage. And that's why I believe this is so applicable to what we're talking about today. We must be honest within our marriage. We cannot, again, use deceit or lies. If as a spouse, if we've done something wrong, the worst thing we can do is to try to cover it up. You know, I've seen assemblies do this same thing. Not maybe with adultery, but I've seen it within morality within assemblies. And instead of trying to resolve the issue and come clean and, and resolve the issue as they should, they sweep it under the rug. Every example I've ever seen, that sin comes back up. There is no hiding that sin, not long term. And when that happens, it is only worse because you've exasperated the issue. You know, I believe that where there's love and honesty, more problems, most problems within a relationship can be reconciled. But again, I believe it's important that we're honest, that we don't lie, that we don't deceive. Now, keep in mind that while it may be possible, it's not always easy and does not happen quickly. You know, some people, they, they've, you know, I've known certain men, and, and uh, they've committed adultery. They've done some horrifying thing, and, and uh, they've recognized the error in their ways. And they want to reconcile their marriage. And they believe that their wife should just simply forgive them and move on. Well, I'm sorry, bad news for these people. It doesn't happen that quickly. If you've done something of a serious infraction, it takes time. But again, it can't happen. It can happen. So as believers, we should always remember compassion. We should be willing to forgive, as Yahshua forgave us. You know, we have the example in the, uh, or Scripture, really, but I was going to say in the Old Testament. Our Father in heaven forgave us while we were yet sinners, and he did so by giving the life of his only son. So if he can do that, we can also forgive. Now, Solomon, I want to move on to Proverbs 25. Solomon there, he also speaks about communication. He says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. 
Now, it's kind of a hard passage to understand. So here's what Matthew Henry says within his commentary. I kind of liked how he explained this. So he says it runs well as well circumstanced. In proper time, in place, instruction, advice, or comfort. Given seasonably and in apt expressions. Adapted to the case of the person spoken to and agreeing with the character of the person speaking. So let's think about how Matthew Henry understands this this passage. Number one, we should try to speak when the circumstance or the opportunity is, is right. You know, for anybody who's been married for any length of time, you know there's days or times when certain discussions should not happen. For example, if you come home and you realize that your wife or your spouse had a bad day, that probably is not the best time to discuss some controversial or contentious issue. Wait. So as a spouse, we need to look for the right opportunity. Number two, we should consider the words we use. You know, I said in the past, there's more than one way to say about anything. And again, I like communication. I really do. I'm I'm all about communication at work. I'm about communication here within the ministry. I'm about communication within my marriage. Now, let me give you an example. If If you know your wife had a bad day, you come in. You can say something like, what's your problem? Or or you can say something like, is there something I can help with? Can I help with something? Something. You know, as spouses, choosing our words can make all the differences in that relationship. It really can. It's amazing the differences words have in marriage, have in relationships. So I would, I would encourage everybody here to, to, to be considerate. To consider the words you use. You know, sometimes, I, I know, I, you know, 21 years of marriage, and I, some of you, many, many more years, and I've been guilty of searching for that one word that I know would hurt, and I should have been considerate. And I'm sure many of us, we've done the same thing. We've said something, and immediately, again, we've regretted what we've said. So many of us were guilty of this, but again, we should be very careful with the words we use. Number three, we should be cognizant of our tone and body language. I don't know what the percentage is anymore, but they say supposedly our communication is mostly nonverbal. You know, a lot of people, they focus on the verbal. They focus on the words they're speaking. But what we're communicating goes far beyond the words we speak. The tone we say the words in the body language we show, all communicates the message. And we need to be cognizant of that. You know, we can say something like, I'm sorry, you know, when we're apologizing. That doesn't doesn't really do anything but exasperate the situation. Or we can say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. A lot of it's the tone in in the body language. Again, it's not what we say often, but, but how we say it. And for those husbands... Of course, you know this. Our wives notice. Our, our wives notice how we respond. I'm going to move on now to the last topic here, and that is mutual love and respect. Mutual love and respect. And um, this is 1 Corinthians 13. This is known as the love chapter, very important passage. And it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it is not, does not boast, it is not proud. 
It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. You know, when people think of love, they generally think of an emotion. The fact is, we show. What are some of the examples of love that we find here from this, this man? Number one, he says that love is patient. Again, being married for 21 years, believe me when I say that marriage requires patience. You know, one of the things I often say to those I'm counseling, I'll say something to the effect, because I think this is true. A good marriage takes work. Would anybody disagree with that? A good marriage takes work. I don't know of a single marriage that doesn't take some work. Every marriage I know, including mine, it takes work. Every marriage takes work. A good marriage takes work. And, of course, then I say, you know, where does that leave a bad marriage? And that's hard. It really is hard. But I I think communication and mutual love and respect, as we find here, patience, as we find here. In my marriage, there's been many examples of patience, normally Jennifer being patient with me. But I can assure you the reverse has been also true in her case. It's not always one way. Number two, Paul says here, love is kind. According to the Third Greek lexicon, this word literally means to show oneself mild, to be kind, or to use kindness. You know, so many disputes in a relationship can be resolved if we simply show some kindness, some compassion, and some consideration. It really is. Resolving marital issues is not hard. What's hard is to take those words and apply them and live them. It's easy to say we shouldn't be angry or we should show kindness or we should be patient. But doing that is hard for many people, and that's where the rubber meets the road. You know what's sad is that many spouses will often show more compassion to a stranger than they do to their own spouse. I believe part of the reason for this is they feel a sense of entitlement and empowerment to their spouse. They feel like they can push them around more than they can a stranger, which is really sad. When you think about that, and I've seen so many examples of that in my own life, in other marriages, family members I know, they show more consideration than they would to a stranger than they do to their spouse. And I find that very, very sad. It was so common. It is so common. For those who might share this line of thinking, nothing could be further from the truth. I say we should be more considerate. We should, be, we should show more kindness to our spouse than we would a stranger. That we should be more careful with the words we use with our spouse than a stranger. That's normally not the case, is it? For most marital couples, that's not the case. Most marital couples, we feel very comfortable degrading one another. And we are more quick to criticize our spouse than we are a stranger. As believers, we should be different. As a spouse, we should never use our position to abuse those we love most. Remember, the relationship between a husband and wife mirrors Yahshua and the assembly. If we feel as as a husband that there's no need to show compassion to our spouse, and I know men like that, 
You're just to simply listen to me. You're to obey me. If we believe that we're not in a position to show compassion or consideration, consider Yahshua in the assembly. Yahshua showed consideration to the assembly. Yahshua showed compassion to the assembly. Yahshua showed agape to the assembly. He goes on here to talk about in, uh, envy. He says, love does not envy. You know, I've seen cases where spouses envy one another. For example, if a wife has a better job, I've seen the husband where he may envy his wife because of that better job. In some cases, this type of envy can produce strife and contention within the marriage. In some cases, I've seen the the wife envious because she has to work, and her next-door neighbor wife doesn't have to work. There's many examples of how envy can creep into a marriage. As believers, we need to be cognizant of this. We need to realize that we're not to envy one another. And we also see something else that says that love does not boast. Love is not proud. I believe that pride might be the single most destructive attribute within mankind. Think about pride. And this is true for all relationships, not only marriage, but certainly marriage. A person full of pride is self-centered. A person full of pride will never change. For a marriage to be healthy and blessed, both spouses must be willing to change, and both spouses must be willing to humble themselves to one another. This means that they must temper their pride. They must recognize their pride and, and remove that pride Solomon in Proverbs 11 said this. He said, when pride comes, then comes shame. So that's what happens when we allow pride to take root and to drive what we do. When we allow pride to drive our decisions, to drive our behavior, the end result will be shame. Solomon goes on to say, but with a lowly is wisdom, with a humbled is wisdom. And that's also true. I don't care what position or situation is, when pride controls the outcome, the outcome will not be positive. Now, the opposite of pride is humility. When we show humility, there's really nothing we can't resolve, that we can't fix. But again, humility must be shown. You know, true humility will look first to the needs of others, including to our spouse. And that's why I believe that if we really are humbled, we can resolve the issue. Because we're going to be more interested in the the other person than we are in ourselves. The problem is when we get into a dispute, most of the time, we're focused on who? We're focused on us, right? But scripture shows that we, when we're in some sort of dispute, our focus, our mindset should not be on how We will win at the debate or how we can prosper, how we can benefit. No, it should be on the other person and how we can find some solution to mitigate the problem. I want to focus on two more things Paul says here. He says, love is not easily angered. You know, I've seen the impact of anger and rage within a marriage. In most examples, it's the husband, but I've also seen this from the wife. You know, when anger is shown in a marriage, it puts the entire family on edge. I've seen families, families like that. A father has a, an issue with, with anger. And the children, they don't know how to respond or what to do. 
And it's important to realize the destruction that that might cause. You know, it causes anxiety, hatred, depression, contempt, many hurtful emotions. And the fact is, people in the assembly, believers, are not immune to anger. I've seen many, many examples of this. They are not immune. If we suffer from anger, I would encourage you first to pray about it and then to seek help. That marriage will never be successful. That marriage will never be healthy and blessed if there's strife and contempt within that relationship. Now, the last attribute I want to review today is, or I want to review here, is that love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I will say that typically this is something the ladies struggle with a little bit more than the men. One reason is this, is most men forget. Jennifer asks me what we did a few weeks ago, months ago. I have no idea what we did. She remembers much more than I do. In fact, I, or I don't, I'll uh, share a quick story with you. I, I don't even know what was said now. But years ago, we, we got into an argument. And, and um, it's funny, too, because I, I just remember the argument. I don't know what it was for or what exactly was said. But all I remember is Jennifer said, but you did that five years ago. The, the, the biggest shock to me was she remembered something I did five years ago. I don't remember five years ago. I don't remember six months ago. Paul says here that we should not keep a record of wrongs. When, when we forgive, we should let go and, and not bring that topic back up. Now, the last attribute here is, or that's the record of wrongs here. We've talked about that. You know, no matter who is guilty, I think the solution is, is pretty simple. And the solution is compassion, consideration, patience, and forgiveness. Let it, let it go. Holding on to old grudges, focusing on past mistakes, will not cultivate a healthy marriage. So Paul says again, keep no record of wrongs. So as spouse, we must understand the meaning of love. What is love? And, and how do we apply love? And again, love is... So much more than an emotion. Love is a behavior. Love is what we do. Love is what we show. It's all the attributes we find within 1 Corinthians 13. Paul defines love. And I, for me, this is such an important passage. I do believe that if we could live by every attribute of 1 Corinthians 13, that we would have absolutely no issues within our life. If we could take those principles and apply and live by every one, we would find peace that passes, as Scripture says, all understanding. We would have a terrific marriage. We would have great relationships. We would be at peace because we're applying those attributes that define love. And love is the greatest of all attributes. Now, in closing, I want to review some of the lessons we've talked about today. Number one, the Bible confirms that the husband is a head or the authority within the marriage. Again, I know this is not popular. I know many people may be offended me simply pointing this out or saying this. Certainly, I may be censored on Facebook. Who knows? But this is what the Bible says. Number two, the husband should never use his Yahweh-given authority in an abusive way toward his wife or family. And I include this because I've seen this. I've seen this in many, many examples. 
And as believers, we should never use the authority we've been given to be abusive to our family. We should be considerate. We should be loving. Number three, even though there is one head within a marriage, the husband and wife should always work together for a solution that is best for the family. Marriage should also be viewed as a partnership. Again, Jennifer and I, we understand that there's a head within our marriage. But we seek very hard to work together. And I say that if you're doing that, you don't have to pull that card out. In fact, I always have an issue with marriages when I hear something like, where he's always making the decision. That should not be. What should be is what we find here is that we should be working together and finding a solution or a decision best for the family. And that includes anything. That includes fiscal or financial needs, issues with children or questions with children, whatever it is, we should be working together. Number four, we're not to be rash in what we say. We should always first listen and be considerate in our response. Again, I would remind everybody, Stephen Covey, and if you've not read that book, by the way, I would really encourage that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a great book. It's a book on leadership, but it's really some great principles within that book. But again, just to go back, he talks about that pause button. So when we say something, before we say it, we should pause, hit that pause button for just a moment, and consider what we're about to say, and ask. And it's not real hard. You know, so many of these issues, by the way, so many of these principles is, is very, very basic. It's very basic. It's, it's funny, I've, I've had a lot of management courses, I've done a lot of counseling, and, and, and for the most part, the solutions are very basic. Everything we have here is basic. Number four, we're not to be rash. Okay, we, we went through that. Number five, we should always speak the truth. You know, we talked about that. We talked about the consequences when we're dishonest. We've talked about how dishonesty will exasperate the issue. I'm telling you now that if we do something wrong within our marriage, the best approach is to come clean. The worst thing we can do is to try to hide or to conceal that mistake. The very best thing we can do as a spouse is to admit, to come clean, to ask for forgiveness, to find reconciliation. Because if we hide it, and believe me, it will come out eventually. You might be able to hide it for years, but eventually that will come out. And when that thing comes out, it will be much worse than if you would have simply been honest from the beginning. Number six, we should be cognizant of how we say things. This includes when, the words we use, and how we speak those words. Remember that much of our communication is not verbal. Much of our communication, and I wish I would have gone back and looked at this. There was a study years ago, and a man came out with what he believes, anyway, is a reflection of communication. But it was... 80%, I don't know, it was a very high percentage of what we communicate as nonverbal. So as believers and and spouses, we need to really be considerate. We need to think about the words we're using. We need to make sure that the words we're using really should be approved, if you will, by Yahweh. You know, that's a way to look at this, this, uh, by the way. We need to ask, would Yahweh be pleased with these words? Would Yahweh be pleased with this response? Would Yahweh be pleased with my behavior at this moment? 
And again, we use that pause button to ask and to affirm that decision. So number six, we should be cognizant. Okay, we've read that. Number seven, we're to remember to love one another. This includes showing patience, humility, and a forgiving spirit. There's a lot there. But as I said a few moments ago, if we lived 1 Corinthians 13, if we lived the love chapter, we would have a, a harmonious marriage. We would have a healthy marriage. We would have a blessed marriage if we simply lived the values we find within that passage, which includes patience. It includes humility. It includes forgiveness. These are the attributes, among others, we should be showing. We're in part two of the series. We're going to continue with this theme of forgiveness, spirit of peace. Again, besides our relationship with Yahweh, I believe that there's nothing greater in this life than our marriage, than our spouse, our family, our children. There is nothing greater. We should desire to have a healthy and and blessed and thriving marriage. And we can achieve that. I, I truly believe that no matter what the issues are, no matter what struggles you might be going through, I believe that we can have a happy and healthy and thriving marriage. And the secret, it's not a secret, it's not hard, really. It's simply living by the values and the virtues we find within the word. That is how we have a healthy marriage. We emulate our Savior. We live by the values that we find, again, especially those values we find within 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. That is the solution. The answer is not, not hard. What's hard is living and applying that. Pray that this has been a blessing to you. And uh, next week, you'll hear part two. May Yahweh bless you.